Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hey there, it's been a while. I have one more episode for you before the holidays, and then I've got more great guests lined up for the new year. First of all, I want to thank everyone who listens to this podcast, shares it, subscribes to my newsletter, follows me on LinkedIn, or has joined me for a curated cocktail Zoom this year. If you haven't done that yet, keep your eyes open in the spring. I'll do another round. It's been a treat for me to connect people from all areas of my network, from life science to content creation to swimming, and the feedback's been great. Last thing before we get started, if you're still working on a plan for next year and are thinking about a podcast, but I've had a few people tell me they're not quite sure what kind of effort it takes, what it looks like, or how to sell that idea internally, I can tell you what I know. Send me an email, chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com, and we'll connect and have a little chat. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Today, my guest is Amy Duncan. Amy is the founder and chief marketing consultant at Goldfish Consulting in the San Diego area. Amy, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to talk about something we haven't really talked about before on this podcast, and that is a competitive audit of your customers. So tell us a little bit about what's the goal of this competitive audit, first of all. The goal of your competitive audit is really about developing strategy for the company. That's the overall, that's the big goal. Obviously, you're there to uncover information about your competitors, and that information that you determine is going to help you develop strategies so that you can ultimately succeed and sell the products. And I imagine if you're looking at your competitors and more broadly, we're talking a little bit about positioning. So you're trying to find an opening in the marketplace for you to do something different than everyone else. Yeah. So positioning, I know you've covered positioning on your podcast before, and it's definitely one of the components in positioning and just took step back and unpack positioning. Usually I use a table. Maybe you've seen these before a table with fields to fill out to develop that positioning statement. And so that's what I do. I have a little table and one of them is your competitor and how you're different. So unlike your competitors, you are different. And that, you know, differentiation is a part of why we look at our competitors so that we can see how we're different and better and why people would buy from us instead of them. And so in your competitive audit, what kinds of things are you looking for? Competitive audit can take a lot of different shapes. Big companies have competitive intelligence departments where they have, where they organize their own primary research or source secondary research. And that's great if you have access to that. If as a product manager, when you're doing your competitive analysis, you should be doing that for any product launch. And then of course, always keeping an eye on what your competitors are doing. And so of course you can buy a a market research report. And hopefully in that you can determine market size is the one thing everybody wants to know is who's the leader and how much are they selling. But aside from that, 
the stuff that goes into your competitive analysis are, it's everything. It's like a great way to start is a SWOT analysis. What are their strengths and weaknesses and a four piece. So looking at the product price, how they're promoting it and how they're distributing it. That's an easy way to get started because there's a lot of information to collect and you just, you need to have a, a methodical way to, to proceed. So if you're working with, let's say, for example, a biotech company in San Diego or wherever, what kinds of, how, first of all, how many competitors would you look at? Of course, they could have from one to many, but you, I'm guessing you're not doing 10. Yeah, that's a really good question. Some markets have very few competitors. And then, of course, it's a little bit easier. You can really dive into them. So, and it usually has to do with the the price of the technology and the ability to enter that market. Uh, if it's a, you know, a, a complicated instrumentation, there might be fewer competitors. If it's a, a kit or a reagent, you're probably going to have a large field of competitors. So you always want to know who the, who the market leader is, who really owns this market, and then how many little competitors or other competitors are like you that are that you would be comp competing directly against and part of that is actually talking to customers so when you ask a customer if you're shopping for this type of product what companies come to mind that's good to know because that's who, who you're competing against there might be a lot of people out there a lot of other companies that you're competing with that nobody really knows about but it's i think at some point it's good to, to know the breadth of the market and really know the ones that you need to care about. So that, of course, makes total sense if you ask the customers you're interested in who else they're looking at. So let's say there's one dominant player and four or five smaller players that they come up with. I am curious about the idea of, because it could be either, you could be going after the big one and trying to to differentiate yourself from the others, or you could say, we're going to leave the big one alone and pick these others off one by one. Yeah. So that's the strategies that you're developing. I think there's textbook competitive strategies. There's the frontal attack and the niche strategy. That's the big, you're either going to go directly and compete against your, the big guy in the market, or maybe there's some other player just like you, or you're going to find a niche strategy. Now, most of the time, the right answer is to figure out something that's different and, and play to those strengths. Obviously, you got to match that it's something that people want. I think the nature of life science tools, most of these technologies from the their intention is evolves out of an invention that somebody made in a lab to solve their own problem. And then they realize they can commercialize it. So that's a, and then by the very nature of who discovered it and who's developing it, it takes its own path of differentiation. So things are naturally differentiated when you really zero into it. On the top level, it might look like everything's the same. And that's why we do this kind of research to fine tune why and how it's different. And of course, who that matters to and how much does it matter. I think going against, going head to head against the top competitor in the market is probably a losing strategy. I think we can all agree that because especially if it's a big, well-resourced company, and you aren't, and you don't have a really significant differentiation that, that someone would choose you over a, the trusted incumbent supplier, they would probably crush you. So that's why you wouldn't want to do that frontal attack, as they say. Right. So mostly you're looking at the other smaller players if you're new, 
and trying to find the way that you are most different from most of them, as always, and find some unique value prop to go against them or just a different way of doing business even. Yeah, I think some people will say, don't even look at your competitors. Maybe you've heard of this. And the reason and what I think is behind that is you don't want to become a competitor centric company versus a customer centric company. So there's a balance there. You have to know what your competitors are doing because they can neutralize your strength. They can reset the whole criteria for evaluation. And, but you don't want to become so obsessed with what your competitors are doing that all you're doing is essentially building what they have. And I've seen, I have clients who've done this. Essentially, they're, they are so focused on this, their product is just what the competitors does. And I'm like, why would anyone buy it? Because they're the trusted supplier. So it goes back to what is the invention? What's the innovation there? And what's it doing that's so, it has to be, drastically different, giving you some new piece of data that you couldn't get before. That's really the most important thing. There's other reasons why people can buy that we can talk about, but then you focus on that and how you can message that and reach the right customers with it, rather than looking at all your competitors and making sure you're better than them. That has to happen, but it really, I think the central focus of the importance of your innovation has to come first. You are actually describing a situation that's the opposite of what I was thinking, or maybe it's the same, but yeah, looking at competitors and just saying, let's do what they're doing, but we'll do it better. Or, but what I was thinking is you don't want to be reactive. If they do something, okay, now we got to do something like that. And then you're just following all the time and you will never get ahead, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's say my company has a technology that's useful for lots of different markets. And I know this comes up all the time. And how do you decide where to focus? Yeah, that's actually why knowing what customers want is so important. So you're not just matching what the competitors are doing because maybe everybody's missing the key functionality that's missing that customers really want because everyone's too busy trying to make their product like someone else's when there's a key functionality that's just hasn't been integrated into the technology. So you asked, how do you, how do you know exactly where to position your product? Yeah. So lots of times, like I said, these technologies, innovations start from the inventors need to develop it for themselves in the lab. But that's what, that's usually it's so in the real world of when we go get our MBAs and we study marketing, they tell us to, First, go out and see what people need and then build it. Well, what's nice about what happens in life science tools is that scientists needed it and they built it. And so they needed it for one application. And so you would think that would be the killer app. That's the application. Let's go and and make, and, and surely everybody else has this problem. Interestingly enough, not everybody has the same problem or, it, or they need it addressed a little differently. Like the technology needs some fine tuning. And then it becomes a little bit of a, a solution looking for a problem. And so that's that's where you've got to ask customers along their workflow, where are, you, where are your pain points for sort of an, an unaided question of what's not working for you? What workarounds are you doing? And then present an opportunity like the technology and see where they would see if it as a fit in their workflow. And that'll help give you some cues because if you just go out the gate and promote it for what you think it's good for, because that's what you used it for when you invented it, 
you could spend a lot of a lot of limited cash that you won't really have to try to reach these people and they don't need it and so we've, we've all seen that happen before and just the flip side of that they don't need it but there may be a bigger group that really needs it and you just weren't thinking about it so can we go back to that thing where the inventor says everybody wants this and then you say how do we market it in a smart way to get traction and grow that's true that's a good point just say everyone does want it you need to validate that but when you're a small company your resources are so limited that you don't have the budget as the big incumbents in the industry to tackle every medium and every channel with the way it needs to be so you do have to focus on you got to think smartly and creatively about getting the biggest you know, ROI for your buck. And then again, that's talking to your customers and understanding where do they get information? How do they shop? How do they uh, learn about new technologies? Specifically, what media channels, what trade publications, even now in COVID, and then develop your communications plan to address that. If you see like a made, if everybody hopefully is saying the same thing, then you then that tells you right away where you should be putting your ad spend. But sometimes you might get an investor that still wants to go everywhere or how do you persuade people that's the right path is what I'm, I'm trying to say. Do, do you ever come across that? If an investor wants you to do more Google ads or webinars or email campaigns, some of the things that are going to, if you have to rent a list or there's things that are, you're going to have to pony up a lot more money, then you ask the investor for more money. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps, you know, that would, you'd work that into your ask, I would think. I think you, this isn't just, hey, let's just do some emails. You really have to plan and budget ahead of time because you don't just do one webinar. You don't just send one email or put that one Twitter post out there. It's got to be an integrated plan where there's recurrent, recurring messages. They used to say, the consumer needs to see the message nine times before they actually see it that kind of appears in front of them. And I think that's true. I subscribe to every mailing list and there's things that just, they'll come through and I'm not really paying attention. And I'm like, man, this is, this has got to be the fifth email from this one company. And then I wonder what they're up to. And so that's really, you can't just send one. It, the, the one day you send it, that person's having a horrible day. They're not checking their email. They're just going to next day delete everything. It's got to be part of well-integrated plan tied to a budget. That's a great point you make about seeing things multiple times. So people who listen to this podcast know I'm always talking about repurposing, but I've watched some people on LinkedIn who are really good at this and it feels like they're saying the same thing all the time, but I know that it works for them. And the reality is when you've heard it enough and it's not for you, you can stop listening. But when you're the person who's sending the message, you should probably never say we've sent that enough until someone tells you that it's too much. Because I, I know I've heard that when I worked as a marketer, someone would say, we already sent an email about that. 75% of the people didn't even open it. And of the people who did open it, maybe it wasn't the right day that it wasn't their need then. So you do have to, to keep going on that. Any other tips on voice of the customer? Do you have a, a checklist you go through when you're looking for that? Yeah, a lot of it depends on what my client is trying to solve. And I was back up even when it comes to doing the competitive analysis and developing strategies. 
This can be a communication strategy. What's the best way to communicate our launch? What does that communication mix look like? Or it can be a product development strategy. What products do we need to develop and what features and capabilities do we need to add to them? And so you, you could be looking at your competitors for either one of those facets. And likewise, when you're talking to customers, you can be talking to customers to understand what they need so we can develop better products or how do we message and position this new product that's coming out? And lots of times it's, I don't like to mix them because it, it's, it can be, if you're really trying to do messaging and your questions are more about like fixing problems, you don't get the information you need for your campaign. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. So you're either asking any one customer about <laughs> product development or you're asking them about communications. And maybe you can do that in parallel, but you're not talking to one customer about both because I'm sure it's, you get mush. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to always starting with the, what problem are we trying to solve or what is this project about? And then doing your research to address that. Backing up to the competitive analysis, you should, there should be something where you're always looking at all the different aspects of that. There should be something when you're de developing your program of how to con collect competitive intel, you have to be looking at what are your competitors developing? What does their product roadmap look like? And then how are they communicating? Collect every single email that they're sending and how, how often are they posting on LinkedIn or how often are they having an incentive or an ebook? There's a lot of information to collect. So you have to make a method out of it. So those are the two problems that I'll end up solving for a voice of customer is like getting feedback for new product development. Most of the time it's we're launching a product and we're trying to come up with the messaging. Got it. Now that was helpful when you say we're collecting all their emails. So you're watching them for a long period of time, collecting things. And I imagine even after the products launched, you're still watching your competitors to see what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. How are now with, if people are posting comments on, if the, if the competitor company posted something on LinkedIn or Twitter and, or Facebook, wherever the the community is, and now the customers can write back and comment or how many likes are they getting or retweeting, or you can see, you get more of that feedback than you ever did. And then I think in the end, what you want to do is, is be able to tell a story. You're collecting facts. You're always, it's, let's call them facts to begin with. Everything you're collecting, you making, every product manager should have a, a pricing analysis. So you set up an Excel file and you have these columns catalog number, company, product name, number of reactions, price, price per reaction, whatever's important there. And then even the, the claims and proof, how much yield is it getting and or how much time does it take? All of that. And that should be an ongoing thing that you're constantly, you're updating, especially when it comes for pricing. You have to go and update that every year if people are raising their prices. Right. That's a good point. So what have I not asked you about competitive analysis or voice of customer that I should have? Yeah, they go hand in hand. So if I do a project, I like to have a competitive analysis in there because I need to come up to speed on the competitors. My clients usually have a really good handle on that. I try to, I try to find more than just the pricing and the claims and the proof. And there's a lot of e easy factual things you can get and you should get, like I just described, how many posts do they make a day? How many followers do they have on LinkedIn? Do they even use it? And if they're using it, there could be multiple posts and you're trying to collect it all and see what the message is. It can be overwhelming, but you need to go in there and do it and, and understand, like I said, 
you don't want to be so fixated on them, but what are they doing? What's working for them? Find your own strategy forward that works for you. Nice. And then you mentioned putting a story together, which of course is my absolute favorite topic. Talk a little bit about that, putting the story together from the data you've collected and your competitive analysis. Yeah, so you have, you've collected your facts column and because there's, like I was mentioning earlier, it's <laughs> trying to have a methodical way of approaching this because if you're collecting data on your competitors, you gotta put it somewhere. And you have to have, a, and you always have to collect your source because if you ever want to go back to where you got that from, collect that link because it'll drive you nuts trying to back, trying to find it again. So you have to have a good way of repository of how you're going to collect information. And also, if you're like, if you're a product manager in a life science company, you could, like I said, you can buy reports, you can do your own research. You should talk to your sales reps for sure. You should have some sort of recurring meeting with each rep to understand how they made the sale or why they missed the sale, like one-on-one -on -one where you can really uncover that. So you're, so you're synthesizing all this data and at, at some, at the early stage, I just want to call it findings, the facts, right? You're not making any judgment. You're just trying to get it all the information and then you're going to do the analysis. Now you can start seeing what trends or if you just look at this company and how it's doing its communications and you see what it's talking about, you could start like drawing your own conclusions. So now we're into the, just said there's the findings, you analyze it. Now you're drawing conclusions and, and making recommendations. And this is scary for people. It's because you are personally interpreting what you're seeing. But as long as I'm claiming that it's my interpretation based on what I've seen, and here it is, here's the, what I'm seeing, here's the story. This company is targeting these customers it's going to have this sort of product development roadmap. It communicates like this, uses this sort of tone and imagery. And here's the story now that I'll tell about that customer and that, or that competitor. And that you might be wrong. You're probably not wrong. You've done enough research, but that's the story. Yeah, that's interesting. So Amy Duncan, this has been really informative on a topic we haven't talked about a lot. I want to thank you for taking the time. I'm going to put a link to Goldfish Consulting in the show notes. And can I use a link to your LinkedIn as well? Absolutely. And I will do that. And thank you again for joining me. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's been fun. Yeah. I'll say it right now. Besides creating really great content, maybe the next most fun thing about marketing, for me at least, is figuring out what competitors are doing. I agree with Amy that you shouldn't become competitor-centric, but there's something very satisfying about putting that puzzle together and then coming up with a strategy to compete. So think about that as you're making your plans for next year. Beyond that, you know what to do. If you like this podcast, you used to sit next to somebody and will soon again, I hope, who would also like it. But you can send them a link Tell them to listen, and I hope you all have a great holiday season and a very happy, successful new year, and we're soon talking to each other face-to-face -face again. That's it for now. Bye-bye.